0: Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. Today is officially Halloween. So happy Halloween, everyone, or happy belated Halloween if you're listening to this after October 31st. Woohoo! This episode, we are going to be sharing some strange, tragic, and also funny true crime stories that are all connected to Halloween in some way. Sharon, why don't you start us off with a story that has a link to who else Rob Zombie? All right, this story is titled Killer Confessed
1: Film by Rob Zombie Made Him Kill. I have to give trigger warnings here for details of gun violence. This story comes from the Daily Mail. Jake Evans was only 17 years old when he killed his mother and sister. Why did he commit these horrific acts of murder? He told police that Rob Zombie's movie Halloween inspired him. In a four-page confession, Jake Evans talked about how he killed his mother, Jamie Evans, aged 48, and his sister Mallory, aged 15, inside of their home on October 3rd, 2012 in the affluent neighborhood of aledo texas just hours after the murders he talked to authorities about the movie and how he had watched it three times leading up to the slayings evans wrote quote my plan was to kill my sister and my mom at my house and then go over to my grandparents and kill my oldest sister emily and my two grandparents end quote Authorities said that his father was out of town at the time of the murders. Evans, who was homeschooled, said he argued with his 15-year-old sister Mallory that day after she made a racist comment, and he felt his family were becoming the people that he hated. He said, The people who are racist, bullies, and who are full of themselves are are the really evil ones. And it amazes me because those three qualities are extremely common today. I was very sad because I felt like my own family were becoming the people I hate. Just my wow. own interjection here. I totally understand what he's saying. Right. Not that there's ever any excuse to commit murder, but I I hear you uh, and I don't think you're alone. And you know, Unfortunately, it didn't seem like he had anyone to talk to about these feelings. Um, Yeah. And the fact that it's from 2012, I mean, obviously. Right. Problems like this have always been going on. But, you know, even more today, especially like like within the last five years, I feel like everyone's friends and family that were closet racists. Right. Were, you know, they like. They totally just embraced their uh, hatred and let their feelings be known. And so like this is still, you know, extremely relevant. So absolutely. I, um, but yes, never any excuse for acts of violence or murder.
0: Right. Period. Agreed.
1: According to a statement after hitting golf balls, running errands with his grandmother and watching television at home. Evans put a knife in his pocket and thought about killing Mallory, but instead he decided to kill his mother and younger sister with a gun stolen from his grandfather so they wouldn't feel pain. In his statement he said, I then spent probably over an hour walking nervously around the house thinking how life will never be the same and how I would never see them again. Thoughts of causing her pain kept entering my mind and were really bothering me. But then I'd think about the times she hurt my feelings or really pissed me off. Evans then reveals he went to his sister's bedroom and asked her to watch The water boy with him. But he later excused himself and went into the art room. There he imagined killing Mallory again, he told investigators. After about 30 minutes, he came back with a knife in his pocket and thought about killing her. He said, I sat for about five minutes and then playfully threw a pillow at Mallory. We started having a pillow fight in the room. After a while, I thought to myself that if I were going to kill my mom and Mallory, I wouldn't want them to feel anything. So I decided to kill them both with the .22 revolver I stole from my grandpa. According to his statement, Evan shot Mallory and then his mother, Jamie, with the 22 caliber, but went back and shot his sister again after realizing she was still alive. He also shot his mother again to make sure she was dead. Wow. But he said after shooting his mother and sister, I know now, though, that I'm done with killing. It's the most dreadful and terrifying thing I will ever experience. And what happened last night will haunt me forever. At the time of the slayings, the 911 call was released in which Evans can be heard calmly explaining to the dispatcher what he did and why he did it. He told her This is going to mess me up in the future. I told my sister that my mom needed her. She was in her room and she came out of her room and I shot her and she rolled down the stairs and I shot her again and then went downstairs and shot my mom maybe three or four times. In his confession, he described the thoughts that went through his head as he realized what he had just done. In shock, he said he ran to his room and was screaming at the top of his lungs and he was really messed up and that he killed his mom and sister. He put the gun on the counter and dialed 911. Evans was then arrested at his home and taken into custody. Eventually, he pled guilty to two counts of murder in the death of his mother and sister. He received 45 years on each count that will run concurrently. Jake will have to serve half of his incarcerated time before he is eligible for parole. So we talk about nature versus nurture on this show a lot. Yeah, and yeah. I think this is one of those circumstances where nurture is definitely more of the reason that he committed these horrific crimes. Cause he expresses remorse, which yeah. a lot of people don't. And I I watch a lot of episodes of Evil Lives Here. And there's <laughs> a ton of episodes involving children and you know over their lives from you know very early ages they display signs of behavior that you know is creating harm for animals and their siblings and they're kind of obsessed with death and they don't seem to show remorse ever and yeah. i feel like he was just a very very sensitive Individual, and I'm not making excuses for him at all. I'm just pointing out that I think this is a situation where um, someone like him could have benefited from talking to a therapist and yes. uh, ha- having someone to open up to about the feelings he was having before he committed these horrific acts.
0: I totally agree. And I thought it was really interesting that you were saying that he, like, you know, was like, pacing back and forth and and like kind of avoiding trying to do the inevitable because he didn't want to kill people but like he was so feeling so compelled to because of you know everything he said that you're right that that is not something that we normally see and that's a really interesting story wow I mean it's it's sad it's horrible but it it's kind of fascinating I haven't heard that one before.
1: Yeah. I never heard this story either. And yeah, I'm just very saddened by the fact that this probably happens way more than we hear about and that a lot of these things could be prevented if we had better mental health care in the U.S. and the rest of the world and things like this were taken more seriously. And I'm kind of curious, though, about his childhood and if he did ever display any sort of signs of violence towards animals or people. Yeah. It, um I, I think though reading further, I didn't include this in the story, but I think he did actually say in part of the 911 transcript that he had never done anything like this before and that he's oh. not a violent person. So it's just so bizarre the way that, you know, his, uh, his feelings towards his family just grew to be like so intense, like his hatred yeah. towards them that he could just cross that line to commit these acts. I mean, definitely, as I said earlier, I can relate to this in many ways. I'm kind
0: of curious about his, yeah, his, his family though. Cause he was saying like, they're such racist, they're such horrible people. So part of me wonders, Yeah what they were like you know and maybe the fact that he
1: was homeschooled he didn't have any other friends to talk to about this Mm, or connect with or teachers that's a good point or um you know counselors at school he like he didn't know where to go to get help um so yeah just very sad and um hopefully things will change in our country for the better as far as getting help for people who who really need it
0: and racism in general yes yes Agreed.
1: All right. Well, let's lighten the mood here a little bit, Mindy. Um, You have a very interesting story for us that I think our listeners would uh, also find very
0: interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Let's lighten things up a bit. Let's uh, let's talk about the mysterious death of Harry Houdini, (laughs) the famous musician.
1: (laughs) And we're all know he was a musician.
0: Actually, that's the new conspiracy, is that Kurt Cobain was actually Harry Houdini reincarnated. Interesting. The famous magician Harry Houdini died on Halloween 1926, leaving behind mystery and speculation that has fascinated people ever since. In our episode about the Fox sisters, the famous... Spiritualist sisters, we mentioned briefly that Harry Houdini was not a fan of spiritualists and tried to debunk them. Is it possible that spiritualists had something to do with his death? What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 1926, Harry Houdini was only 52 years old and still at the top of his game, which for those days, He was like an old man, right? In 1926 at 52. In 19. Yeah. In 1926, 52 was the uh, new 82. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, He toured the country in the early part of the year, performing escapes and enjoying his decades old fame. But when he toured again that autumn, everything seemed to go wrong. On October 11th, Houdini broke his ankle while performing a water torture cell escape trick in Albany, New York. (laughs) Sorry, that made me laugh. He managed to push through the next several appearances against doctor's orders and then traveled to Montreal. There he made appearances at the Princess Theater and held a lecture concerning spirit fraud at McGill University. After the lecture, he schmoozed with students and faculty, among them Samuel J. Smiley Smilovich, who made a sketch of the famous magician. Houdini was so impressed with the drawing that he invited Smiley to come to the Princess Theater on Friday, October twenty-second, to do a proper portrait. On the appointed day at eleven a.m., Smilovich came to visit Houdini with a friend, Jack Price. They were later joined by a freshman student named Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead. After some talk about Houdini's physical strength, Whitehead asked if it was true that he could withstand even the mightiest punch to the stomach. Houdini remarked rather unenthusiastically that his stomach could resist much and gave Whitehead permission to strike him. Whitehead struck at least four times until Houdini gestured him to stop in mid-punch, Price recalled that Houdini looked as though he was in extreme pain and winced as each blow was struck. Houdini said that he didn't think Whitehead would strike so suddenly, otherwise he would have better prepared. he <laughs> will teach him to walk around.
1: Oh yeah, you know what? I can just take the mightiest punch to the stomach. You know,
0: that's just something I do. Until, oh, well, and then he's doubled over. He's like, well, I, I, I didn't have a chance to prepare you guys. You just started punching me. I mean, come on. Yeah.
1: And by prepare myself, I mean, put on some sort of metal corset around my stomach to protect me from extremely <laughs> hard punches to the gut.
0: By evening, Houdini was suffering tremendous pain in his abdomen. The next evening, Houdini left Montreal on an overnight train to Detroit, Michigan. He telegraphed ahead for a doctor to examine him. The doctor diagnosed Houdini with acute appendicitis and said he should go immediately to the hospital. But the Garrick Theater in Detroit had already sold $15,000 worth of tickets for that evening's show. Houdini reportedly said, I'll do this show if it's my last by the beginning of the third act, he called off the show. Houdini still refused to go to the hospital until his wife forced him. Because, of course, naturally. Surgeons <laughs> removed Harry Houdini's appendix on the afternoon of October 25th. But because he had delayed treatment for so long, his appendix had ruptured and the lining of his stomach was inflamed with peritonitis. Per- peritonitis. Was inflamed with peritonitis. What is that, Sharon? Close enough. Inflammation of the peritoneum. <laughs> <laughs>
1: peritoneum.
2: Sharon doesn't know anything. Oh, that's
1: something else. It basically, it's like a, a, a wall of um, tissue lining that covers all of the abdominal cavity. Yikes. And covers like basically all the organs and stuff that are in there. Okay.
2: Organs and stuff.
1: You know, those organs and stuff. That
2: stuff and
0: are junk in your body. Cool. Thank you. Um, so needless to say, by this point, infection had spread throughout Houdini's body. Uh, today, such a malady simply requires a round of antibiotics. But this was 1926. Antibiotics wouldn't be discovered for another three years. Womp womp. You can edit that out, maybe. Houdini's bowels became paralyzed, ugh, and surgery was needed. Houdini received two operations, and he was injected with an experimental anti-streptococcal serum. He seemed to recover somewhat, but he quickly relapsed, overcome by sepsis. At 1:26 p.m. on Halloween, Houdini died in his wife Bess's arms. His last words were supposedly. I'm getting tired, and I can't fight anymore. Surrounding Harry Houdini's death was a wild subplot involving spirits, seances, and a ghost named Walter. Houdini performed tricks on stage, but he never played them off as magic, quote-unquote. They were simply illusions. (laughs) Like Job says on Arrested Development, tricks are just (laughs) something whores do for money. (laughs) Sorry. Wow. Yeah. Uh, He made his own equipment to suit the specific needs of his tricks and perform them with the necessary pizzazz and physical strength to wow an audience. They were feats of engineering masquerading as entertainment. And that's why he had a bone to pick with spiritualism, the religion, which was based on the belief that it's possible to communicate with the dead. And so, in his several years on Earth, he made it his mission to expose the mass movement for what it was, according to him, a sham. In one of his most famous anti-spiritualism escapades, Houdini attended two seances with Boston medium Mina Crandon, known to her followers as Marjorie, who claimed to be able to conjure the voice of her dead brother, Walter Crandon was up for a $2,500 prize if she could prove her powers to a six person committee of respected scientists from Harvard, MIT, and elsewhere. And just FYI, uh, $2,500 back then is the equivalent to almost $40K today. It's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Intent on keeping her from winning the prize money, Houdini attended Crandon's seances in the summer of 1924 and was able to deduce how she performed her tricks. A mix of distractions and contraptions, it turns out. He recorded his findings in a pamphlet, complete with drawings of how he believed her tricks worked, and even performed them for his own audiences to much laughter. Ha ha. Crandon supporters would have none of it. And in August 1926, Walter proclaimed that Houdini will be gone by Halloween. This fueled a conspiracy theory that spiritualists were to blame for the illusionist's demise that Harry Houdini had actually been poisoned and that Whitehead was in on it. But there's no evidence for any of this. In 1926, blows to the abdomen were thought to cause a ruptured appendix. Today, however, the medical community considers such a link very much up for debate. It's possible that the punches led to Houdini's appendicitis, but it's also possible that the two events just so happen to coincide. Ironically, though he was an anti-spiritualist, Harry Houdini's death became fuel for spiritualist fodder. He and his wife, Bess, had made a pact that whichever one of them died first would try to communicate with the other from the great beyond to prove once and for all whether spiritualism was real. And so... Bess held a seance on the next nine Halloween nights, trying to conjure up the spirit of her husband. In 1936, 10 years after Harry Houdini's death, Bess held a much-anticipated final seance in the Hollywood Hills. Her husband never showed. Bess declared, "'My last hope is gone. "'I do not believe that Houdini can come back to me or to anyone.'" After faithfully following through the Houdini 10-year compact, (laughs) after using every type of medium and seance, it is now my personal and positive belief that spirit communication in any form is impossible. I do not believe that ghosts or spirits exist. The Houdini shrine has burned for 10 years. I now reverently turn out the light. It is finished. Good night, Harry. She and Houdini had a prearranged code in which no medium ever brought word from him. Spiritualists retorted that it proved nothing. Some even charged that Houdini's spirit is being stubborn. (laughs) To this day, every year on the anniversary of Houdini's death, people hold seances on Halloween and try to communicate with the spirit of Harry Houdini.
1: Hmm. Uh, I think we should all have codes. So whichever one of the three of us dies 1st we'll know if we're contacting each other from beyond the grave. So um, what are our codes going to be? I don't Mindy? know.
0: We've already discussed, though, that like.
2: Whoever goes oh, we're first gonna haunt would. the
1: fuck out of each other, but yeah. but we need to know that it's really us and not you know some mm. demon or other spirit.
2: Well, it might not be a good idea to say this on a podcast because then somebody might.
1: Trick oh, us. good
2: point. They might steal.
1: Come on, Spencer. Get yeah. With it. <laughs> I think you're overthinking this a little too much. All right, Mindy, this, what's your code? This be? might not
0: really be my code, so if anyone's listening, just know that. Uh, um, but <laughs> Mindy would, may or
2: may not use this.
0: What would be my code? Probably I think her
2: code is trying to read a script but not getting it out right.
1: That's all of our <laughs> problems, uh, including um, you'll you, find, Spencer.
0: You'll find change all over the place because I always am dropping change as you guys have commented when you've been to my apartment, as have my parents many times
2: money on the floor (laughs) like i just dropped change wait can we change it from change to bills
0: yeah (laughs) dollar
1: dollar bills yeah yeah hundred dollar bills
0: so all of a sudden you just start finding money all over your house you'll know that's from me
1: sweet all right i'll take that good code uh spencer what's your code gonna be
2: (laughs) i have no idea probably just messiness around the house (laughs)
1: <laughs> your, your, I'll find your socks in the dining room <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> which I've I've told you a million times there, there will be
2: crumbs on the couch crumbs socks on the, oh on the floor <laughs>
0: uh, that's hilarious
2: lights on all over the place
0: <laughs> for Sharon right. I think my TV's just gonna incessantly play uh, House of a Thousand Corpses for like no reason and I'll be like Sharon god damn it
2: <laughs> yeah what's your code
0: um I'm just going to probably fart.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll be able to tell.
1: If you hear Ew. just, you know, random farting noises out of nowhere, you'll know it's me.
0: Well, and I also still want to be the, like, one of the first, like, ghost reality TV stars. So, like, if you're watching, like, Ghost Adventures and Zach Baggins is like, talk to me, spirit! And I'm, you hear, like, a woman's voice come back. Oh, fuck off. That'll be me. Oh, man, if... That show is
1: still playing in, like, 30, 40 years. I don't know. Yeah.
0: To to be fair, you're right, but still.
2: I have a theory about this Houdini thing. I think that he could have given her the code. He could have come back to, to... through, through the seance. But oh. because he didn't want spiritualism to be taken seriously and yes. to prove that it was a scam, he never did.
1: Well, that's what his that's what the supporters of spiritualism said. That's what Mindy read, is that they think he's just being stubborn.
2: Yep, I think that's what it was. Huh.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, though, that he spent many years of his life trying to debunk spiritualism, only to have spiritualists try and resurrect him every single year since his death.
0: Well, and then... Um, fun fact, actually, um, this is a story. So I don't know how factual some of these details are. um, But the story goes, as they say that actually, I think it was in 1922, uh, Harry Houdini went to the Winchester mansion and tried to No, it wouldn't have been 1922. It was probably 1923 because Sarah Winchester, who built the place, died in 1922. But he went there to try and have a seance. And then the story goes that he left abruptly and wouldn't talk about what happened. So like something like insinuating that something happened. But we don't know what or if that's even true. But he did go to visit the mansion. Oh,
1: are you going to be talking about that in our upcoming episode?
0: about the Winchester Mansion? <laughs> I might be talking about the Winchester Mansion and Sarah. Maybe not so much Houdini, because there's way more interesting shit to talk about with Sarah Winchester. She's a really interesting lady, but yeah. Maybe that's a little a little hint-hint there. Exciting. <laughs> okay, so moving on, what do we have next, Sharon?
1: Um, So moving on, we have the unsolved death of Kurt Sova. Um, and then I promise we'll get back to... Um, Funny (laughs) true crime Halloween stories because we don't want half this episode to be just a total uh, downer. But also, um, this is an unsolved case and it's also related to another unsolved case. And so maybe someone listening has some information about this because at the end of the story, I will give a link to go report any information that you might oh. have on this and it's just another very tragic story that I'm like kind of fascinated with now like I really want to know what happened
0: huh and not everything about Halloween I mean it's the fun and it's the scary so we want to hear some of the dark stuff as well as the funny stuff that is true but after this
1: I promise it gets <laughs> okay a lot more light-hearted. <laughs> We'll <laughs> we'll end on a, a high note all right Kurt Sova lived with his parents in a quiet neighborhood in Newburgh Heights, Ohio. He was the youngest of four boys and the closest to his parents. On Friday, October 23, 1981, the 17-year-old Kurt Sova left home for the last time. He had told his parents he would be back that night and then met up with a friend to go to a Halloween party at a duplex a couple of miles away. His mother, Dorothy, said... It was not like him to be gone overnight. It was not like him to stay out after 10, 1030, 11 o'clock at the latest. And that was only when we knew where he was. This night, he just never came home. On Saturday, when Kurt still wasn't home, his parents were very concerned. His mother started calling all his friends while his father, Ken, searched the area where they lived. They were hoping he was just still out with his friends and would be home sometime soon. By Sunday, they still hadn't even received a phone call from their son, so Kurt's parents reported him missing with the Cleveland police. Determined to find him, Dorothy had made some flyers and took them to local stores to post. They searched the ravines, the schoolyards, and even went so far as to search dumpsters looking for him. Can you imagine having to
0: do that? No, I don't ever want to have to imagine doing that.
1: Along the way, Dorothy heard that Kurt had gone to a party at a duplex hosted by a person named Susan. Dorothy went to Susan's duplex, where another woman told her that Susan was out. Mm. Dorothy left her number, asking for Susan to call her right away. That night, Susan returned her call, but she claimed that not only had she not seen Kurt, but that she never had a party. What? But a pizza delivery man contradicted Susan, he stated that there had been a party at the duplex on Friday night. Dorothy contacted Susan again, and this time Susan admitted that Kurt had been there. Susan also said that there were more than a dozen people that had dropped by at some time throughout the night. Some of them were older than Kurt, and most of them were people he had never met. Susan also told Dorothy that Kurt had been drinking heavily, but those who knew Kurt said that he was not much of a drinker. Dorothy talked to one of Kurt's friends who said that Kurt had become ill, so he took him outside to get some air because it was a chilly night, and when he went upstairs to get Kurt's jacket, he left him over by a fence, and when he came back down, he said Kurt was gone. Dorothy said, that's when I became hysterical. I thought, my God, something happened to him at the party or in between the party and home.
0: And really quick, this is just everything the mom is doing. Like, not we're not even talking about the cops. Like, the mom and the family are doing all of this. Correct. Unbelievable. Wow. And
1: great for pointing that out. Because, honestly, I didn't really notice that. But also, you know... Cops have a lot of other things to investigate. And a parent, I think, you know, like if this was my child, I would be like, I would not be able to sleep or rest or do anything until I had answers and leads. And I mean, you know, the parents are going to care way more about the whereabouts of a missing child than the police, unfortunately. Um, Well, not for I mean that's the way it should be (laughs) you know obviously no no one's going to care as much as the parents and the family and the friends um but yes I'm not sure what was going on with the police at this time but I was just
0: going to say that like so many missing person cases though they get the old oh well they're old enough that they might be out with their friends sleeping it off or what you know that old exactly but anyway just amazing that the mom would just hit the ground running I love it yeah anyway sorry please continue no good observation So
1: many people had lied about what had actually happened that night or changed their stories. It started to appear that they were trying to hide something and it seemed to be more sinister than just giving alcohol to an underage youth. Four days after Kurt disappeared, a schoolmate spotted him. He was driving on his way to an interview when he saw Kurt getting into a van with people he didn't recognize. He had heard Kurt call out, Hey, Franco and then got into the van. His schoolmate assumed Kurt knew the people, and at that time, the witness had not heard that Kurt was reported missing, so he just went on his way. Meanwhile, Kurt's family was still distributing flyers and searching for him. One flyer made its way to a record store, and there was a man who came in and commented on the flyer to the owner and said, Might as well take it down. He's going (gasps) to be found dead in two days and nobody's going to know how he died. What? I know. That's like the creepiest part of this (laughs) story. Susan once again called Dorothy, who gave yet another account of her story. (sighs) She said that Kurt had been sleeping on a cot in her basement. Dorothy didn't know whether to believe Susan or not, but figured she had to know, so Kurt's father, Ken, went to the duplex to look in the basement. Kurt wasn't there, but there was a cot, and it looked like someone had been sleeping on it recently. Six days after the party, Kurt would be found. A group of small boys who were out playing in a ravine on Harvard Street found Kurt's body. He was wearing his clothes, no jacket, and he was barefoot. Police discovered his left shoe in a pile of rocks close to where his body was located. His right shoe was missing, and the location of his body was only 500 yards from the duplex where the party was the Friday night that he went missing. At first glance, it was hard to tell what had killed him. So after an autopsy, investigators hoped to have more information, but they did not get it. All the autopsy could reveal was that Kurt had died between 24 and 36 hours before he was found. So that ruled out the possibility that while drunk, he wandered away from the fence where his friend left him and he fell to his death. Hmm. They had known that he'd been alive for at least three days after he left the party. What the fuck? His family knew that he hadn't been in the ravine Any earlier than Monday afternoon because Ken searched the entire area.
0: I was going to say, right, you said that. Oh, my God. So this
1: means that his body would have been dumped Monday evening or the Tuesday before the boys found it on early Wednesday morning. The morning Kurt's body was found, the owner of the record store received a bouquet of flowers with a card that said... Roses are red, the sky is blue, they found him dead, and they will find you dead too.
0: My jaw literally just fell open. Like, for real.
1: (laughs) Yeah, whatever is going on with this record store, and the person who was in there, and the person who sent these flowers, like, that is so damn creepy. Like, that's straight out of a horror film. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, she called the police and reported it, and through the flower purchase... The police were able to locate the sender, but they claimed that it was just a, quote, mentally ill and disturbed, end quote, person, and it had nothing to do with Kurt's death. What? Which I do not trust that. I was just saying Um, bullshit that had nothing to do. Oh, my God. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know if this was the same person who came in and told them to take the flyer down. Um, Right. I, I don't know if there's a connection there and also i don't know if the police did a search of susan's house and went to the basement and maybe took uh fingerprints or did like scrapings or collect any sort of fiber evidence or hair evidence from the cot to see maybe if it matched kurt i have no idea Um, yeah i
0: totally want to know more about this story for sure this is crazy. yeah
1: very much so um So the police ended up releasing this person from their custody and that person then left the area just a short time later. Oh, good. Yeah. So who knows if they ever followed up on this person ever again. Um, The only lead the authorities seemed to find was a man named Franco hmm. they believed that Kurt had been h- hanging out with him in the days before his disappearance and murder and it was also the name that Kurt called out before getting into the van this Franco might also be the man who was in the record store and gave the creepy warning but once again we don't know which is why this case is so fascinating and why I'm kind of like just so hooked on it now because I, I have so many questions and I yeah. don't have any answers. Um, Chief Deputy Coroner Lester Adelson couldn't determine the exact cause of death. Other than some scratches and bruises, the body showed no obvious signs of injury. And in a statement, he said the manner of death in this particular case was signed out as probably accidental. He hadn't been beaten in any way. He hadn't been traumatized in any way. He didn't have enough alcohol to end his life. And he had no pre-existing natural disease. And as Sherlock Holmes would say, you eliminate all other possibilities and that which remains is the truth. This was a diagnosis by exclusion.
0: What? Okay.
1: But his mother Dorothy was not buying it, saying, I didn't believe that they couldn't tell me how Kurt died for my peace of mind, I want to know what happened to my boy. He never had any trouble with the neighbors. I never had any trouble with him in school. I never had any trouble with him with the police. That's why I can't understand what happened. Absolutely tragic, and I feel you, and also would just I, I don't know how I would be able to like go on with my life not understanding oh, this.
0: I'd be a maniac, yeah.
1: Three months after Kurt died, the mystery of his death intensified. The body of 13-year-old Eugene Kavatt, a boy Kurt used to know, was also found. There are several similarities between the two cases as well. They were both found in ravines, just two and a half miles from each other. Hmm. And when they were found, both of their right shoes were missing. An autopsy showed that Eugene died from falling into a ravine, But whether he fell in accidentally or was pushed or thrown, no one knows. Both his and Kurt's death remain unsolved to this day. Mm. Kurt's case is still open and classified as a probable accident. The story was covered in the original Unsolved Mysteries in season one and then again in season five. And if you have any information on what happened to Kurt Sova, you can submit it on their website at unsolved.com slash tips. We will also put the link in our show notes.
0: So wait a minute. They couldn't even tell if Kirk died, like if his heart just stopped or like anything like that? Like, or we just don't know. I mean, they couldn't tell. He had, I mean,
1: it's possible, but he had no underlying conditions, like no congenital heart defects that they knew of um but as a 17 year old unless you're displaying any symptoms Mm. like you know shortness of breath chest pain palpitations they're not going to do like an echocardiogram on a healthy 17 year old so if he did have any underlying congenital heart disease or Mm -hmm. lung disease or anything like that they would be able to tell that in an autopsy i'm sure but I don't think they found any evidence of that. And there was no evidence of trauma. Um, I'm assuming there was no evidence of asphyxiation. So I don't know. It's very weird, but I want to know <laughs> how his one shoe was missing. And it was like stuffed into a pile of rocks, like a few feet yeah. away from where his body was found. Like if he just accidentally, you know, fell and hurt himself and maybe... um I don't know how cold it was. I guess it's possible that he could have died of hypothermia. But how would that explain his shoe getting taken off and placed into a pile of rocks? That doesn't make sense.
0: Well, and I would think that hypothermia, that would be noticeable in the autopsy. You know, one would think. Um, I wonder if like and I don't remember which drug it is, but like you hear all those stories about those like ladies who like slowly poison their husbands over time.
1: Arsenic and um yeah there's other like
0: unless you know to look for it like you wouldn't look for it in an autopsy but like that also doesn't really make sense because why the fuck would somebody do that to him like at a party i don't know that's really weird wow sharon thank you for like put sending me down a rabbit hole because that's gonna happen now (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) let's maybe end this show on a lighter note shall we The following are just a bunch of random funny Halloween-related true crime stories. Uh, This first story comes from The Sun. One trick-or-treat mishap, which definitely was a costly mistake, came in 2012, when 200 pounds worth of cocaine was given to an off-duty police officer's kids.
2: And we should say that that's the money the pounds, not the weight, the pounds. Yes.
0: Good point. Thank you, Spencer. Uh, Donald junior green was at his girlfriend's house in Royton, greater Manchester in England on Halloween when police constable Simon Fowl and his three kids knocked on the door. Green put what he thought were packets of Haribo sweets in the buckets of the kids aged eight, six and five who then thanked him and walked off accompanied by their father. Just a few minutes later, Green reached into his pocket to pull out the eight snap bags of cocaine that he'd bought earlier that day. (laughs) To his horror, he only found the Haribo sweets he'd meant to give the kids. He immediately got in his car and drove around the area to find the children before it was too late, but they had already returned home where their dad found the drugs and called his on-duty colleagues. At the trial, Green, who'd never been in trouble with the law before, was given a 12-month community order and sentenced to 130 hours of community work. Stephen Sullivan, defender for Donald Green, said, This was an accidental act. It was grossly foolhardy, but it took him only a matter of minutes to realize his error. This is clearly a highly unusual... An unfortunate case
1: <laughs> this is why you always go through your kids Halloween candy so you can keep all the good drugs for yourself because you know a six-year-old is just gonna waste all that cocaine they won't appreciate it
0: they have so much energy anyway why the fuck do they need cocaine like <laughs> good yeah. Point. all right that made me laugh thank you Sharon the
1: uh next story is titled police assume man was really run over by his lawnmower ha!
0: that is an awesome headline
1: So the next story comes from the Daily Mail. In rural North Carolina, someone decided to use a dummy to stage a horrifying accident involving their ride on lawnmower. The Merry (laughs) Pranksters placed a dummy underneath the lawnmower on a stretch of grass along a rural road so that only the arms and legs were visible from underneath the machine. They then covered the arms and legs with red paint to simulate blood so that it appeared to everyone who passed by that the homeowner had been cut up and mangled by his own lawnmower. So good was the staged accident that the neighbors who saw it in broad daylight had (laughs) no idea that it was a hoax and promptly dialed 911. The police arrived and terrified, launched into action, not realizing that the person in distress under the lawnmower was a dummy until one of the cops attempted CPR. Oh, my God. They got that (laughs) far? Wow. I know. It's a little hard to believe, but um, whatever. There were no other Halloween decorations around that might have given any clues that the scene was a fake.
0: Well, that was the point, though. That's why it was a good fake
1: true true um is also unclear who was responsible for the halloween prank as the area where the lawnmower was parked leads to several homes so, amazing
0: oh well my God. done mystery prankster well done wow for real that's actually kind of funny i'm sorry like <laughs> okay well um i'm not going to give the name of this next story away because it It spoils it for you. No spoilers. This story comes from OregonLive.com. Not all Halloween costumes are ghosts and skeletons. Take, for example, the man from Lansing, Michigan, who went to a neighbor's party dressed as an armed robber, complete with a skull mask, bulletproof vest, and fake M16 assault rifle. Jesus. The party went great, but after a few drinks, the man, while walking home, decided to stop in at the local Starbucks for a non fat latte to help sober him up. Unfortunately, the semi drunk man was still wearing his armed robber costume. Customers screamed, the barista hit the floor, and the cashier raised her hands above her head, but not before triggering the store alarm. The startled man was left explaining himself to police who arrived on the scene. After seeing that the man had money in his wallet to pay for his coffee and that the M-16 was fake, police let the Halloween reveler head home. But only after they confiscated his very believable costume. That's amazing. That's idiotic. (laughs) It is kind of idiotic, but it's funny. (laughs) My God. Can you just
1: imagine being in a Starbucks and just sitting there sipping your coffee and all of a sudden you think that you're part of an armed robbery and Jesus oh my god that's terrifying to everyone that was involved all right the next headline dad decides to scare kids by pretending to kill their mom (laughs) (laughs) Nice. all right forget America's funniest home videos I want this to be a weekly tv show every week a parent pretends to kill the other parent in front of their kids while a hidden camera records it all I would watch the shit out of that show I will produce that show. I will direct that show. Excellent. This comes from filmedge.net. And domestic violence should never be taken lightly. Uh, And that is exactly what one father found out the hard way after he (laughs) decided to give his young children, ages six and eight, a good Halloween fright by pretending to kill their mother. Oh, my God. This... Dad of the year apparently donned a Michael Myers mask and then proceeded to strangle his wife in front of their two kids. The whole thing was fake, of course, and the mom was also in on the prank. However, the kids freaked out in spectacular fashion, um, obviously, and they ran to a neighbor's house and had them frantically call the police. The sheriff's office was dispatched and dad was left with some pretty detailed explaining to do. And while no charges were filed, the children are said to still have trust issues to this day. (laughs) And while this is funny, and as I said, you know, domestic violence should never be taken lightly. Right. I myself have been known to do some pranks like this as a young child. um, There was one time... When I pretended to be dead on the kitchen floor and even had like spilt milk next to me so that when my mom came home, she would freak out. I don't know why I thought that was funny. I mean, to this day, I still kind of think it's funny. Uh, She didn't buy it for a second. She literally walked right over me and was like, clean up the milk.
0: Yeah, Um, I was going to say, I know your mom wouldn't. She would expect that from you at this point or even at that (laughs) point.
1: (laughs) There was another time though, which I actually do feel a bit of guilt (laughs) about this, Um, but it took place in the winter. There was a children's farm, Mindy, where we grew up on the south side. Um, It was on Southwest Highway. I forget the name of the farm, but my mom took me and my younger cousin there. He was four years younger than me. So maybe he was like, Five and I was like nine at the time.
0: Oh no. And
1: you know, they had hot chocolate and they had ice skating and you can go in the barn and like pet the animals and everything. While we were walking back to our car, there was a lake that was pretty frozen over. Oh no. And it had um these long uh, like reeds and stuff. Growing up from around the bank of the water and I thought it would be funny to have my cousin Dan kneeling down behind the reeds and, you know, other plants that were over there and have me pretending like he fell in the water. (laughs) Jesus, Sharon. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was such a bad influence on my younger cousins. So he was kneeling down behind these reeds so that he looked like he had fallen in the water. And oh. I was grabbing his hand, yelling, help, help! He fell in the he fell through the ice. And my mom, of course, who knew me, was like, Yeah, whatever, you know, come to come to the car, like, haha, very funny. Meanwhile, the guy behind her was like, No, they're serious and just starts running towards us full speed to come like rescue my cousin who we thought was like fell through the ice and was drowning. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, Danny, get up. Stand up right now. Stand up right now. This guy was so fucking pissed when he saw that (gasps) it was a prank. He was probably like, "Okay, worst kids ever and worst parent ever for raising these little hellions. Oh um, my god. Just the one. Uh, my brother wasn't an angel. No,
0: he <laughs> Not wasn't. Not that he was involved in right, this right. in this
1: stunt, but trust me, he had his own stunts that he played. So, yes, that is my um that is my version of uh,
0: <laughs> damn dude.
1: Christmas prank gone wrong, I guess, cuz it was closer to Christmas than Halloween, but
2: I have to say good for these kids to have gotten out and gone to the neighbors and called the police so quickly. But I have an issue. Though This whole article focuses on the dad, but the mom was in on it the whole time. It's the two of them together.
0: Yeah. Good point. Good well, point. they said the kids still have trust issues to this day, so clearly they were parents of the year, both of them. Um, and uh, speaking of terrible decisions by adults in authority, uh, let's talk about... <laughs> The teacher of the year next. I'm just going to go for the headline. Get right to it. Teacher burst into classroom while revving a real chainsaw. Woohoo. Finally, this last story comes from secondtonata.net. A teacher at Taunton High School in Massachusetts thought he figured out a great way to get students into the Halloween spirit. He brought a real chainsaw to the school. Pulled the ripcord and then burst into the classroom of 15-year-old students wearing a ski mask and revving the chainsaw to max throttle. The stampede of students that ensued was so bad that one person broke his leg while clamoring over a desk. Once apprised of this stunt, several parents of the traumatized students launched a lawsuit against the school board, high school, and teacher who perpetrated the prank. Apparently, the family of the kid with the broken leg settled out of court for $100,000. Trick or treat. That's an expensive treat.
1: I don't know, man. This teacher kind of sounds awesome. Like, I think I would have loved his classes
0: <laughs> yeah I don't know that I would have stampeded I don't know it's I don't know what I would have done honestly I was thinking about that actually before we were recording this episode like what would I do if my teacher did that and I don't know maybe I wouldn't think
1: we were watching like Freddy Krueger and Jason and all that shit when we were like eight years old we probably would have sat there and been like awesome
0: <laughs> or let everybody else make the stampede happen and be like well he'll just get all those guys and
2: then we'll-, we'll be
1: like oh we'll probably get out of class early now or get yeah. out of school early yeah
2: i'm thinking that the students thought it was a real not Whoa. they didn't they didn't probably think it was their teacher that's I why i guess
1: so but like it just sounds like they probably haven't seen a lot of horror films
0: well and that's if yeah too. they said he just had a ski mask on so like our teachers would have been easy to spot i feel like i feel like that too i don't know
2: whatever but ski mask and nothing else
0: (laughs) ew maybe that's why they stampeded. it (laughs) well uh, the decision not about the whole like actual chainsaw thing though that's sort of dangerous
1: (laughs) i guess unless they took the um the uh Chain off because I've seen that at haunted houses before. They'll have an actual chainsaw, but they take the chain off, so it's you know it's going, but I don't think it would actually really hurt you.
2: I have a feeling that would have been mentioned in the story if it, that had been the case.
0: Maybe. I don't, yeah, it doesn't sound like the teacher thought that well ahead in general, so I doubt he thought to take the chain off the chainsaw. <laughs> Maybe the teacher was the dad from the previous story. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Wow. Happy Halloween, everyone. (laughs) On that note. Thank you all for listening to us. We hope you all had a scary but safe Halloween. If you have any Halloween tricks, pranks, uh, whatever that you've played on your family or friends, please send those stories our way. Um, Don't make me be the only one that used to pull (laughs) horrible pranks on their family and unsuspecting strangers who are just... At a children's farm with their family, trying to have a good time.
2: (laughs) You know that guy is telling that story to like his kids and his his grandkids.
0: Yeah, (laughs) and the mom just stood there and didn't care. And I always see why.
1: (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, I hope I hope um, I didn't traumatize him. Anyways, (laughs) anyways, please uh, make me feel better about myself by uh, sharing your own. horrible stories with us um also please write to us if you have any episode ideas recommendations on what to watch any ghost stories true crime stories creepy stories whatever you want us to read on our show you can send those emails to whores talk horror at gmail.com that was
0: excellent pronunciation sharon I I thought so, too. (laughs) Thank you. I really tried to enunciate it this time. It was really good. Um, Please subscribe to us and rate and review us on your streaming platform of choice because it does help us get more exposure, which helps us to keep doing the show, which we really like to do. Uh, If you're able to, please join our Patreon and get early access to episodes, see exclusive posts like the actual Uh, video interview with Karen O'Leary and maybe even get some cool goodies in the mail. Uh, Please be kind to each other out there. Stay safe. Trick or treat. And as always, thanks thanks for for getting getting creepy creepy with us.
1: us. Sharon, you want a beer?
2: Uh. Oh my god.